2,000 years ago, Ephesus was a city of over a quarter million. It was the Roman capital for Asia Minor. Today, Ephesus is often considered the most extensive restoration anywhere of the Greco-Roman world. In its heyday, Ephesus, or Ephes as the Turks call it, attracted visitors to the Temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus was also one of the major stops of Apostle Paul as he was spreading the Christian gospel. Whether you only get a few hours to stroll the streets of Ephesus during your cruise ship stopover or have a full day or more to devote to exploring it on your own, there's a lot to take in. And still, only a small part of the metropolis has been excavated. Guiding us into the marvels of Ephesus right now are Turkish tour guides Yaren Turkoglu and Lali Sermon Aran from SRM Tours in Istanbul. Lali and Yaren, thanks for joining us. Thanks for Thank inviting. You. Lali, just tell me basically what is the importance of Ephesus? Why is it the place where the cruise ship stops and everybody goes to see it? What is so important about Ephesus? Historically, it held a very important place. It was a major port for commerce on the Aegean Sea. That would be the Eastern Mediterranean. And the area got quite popular because of the product, local production of olives, olive oil they were selling to the rest of the ancient world once upon a time. And the other main industry in Ephesus was the construction or building of the little statues of gods and goddesses. These were major producers of Ephesus that they shipped around. Of course, they did business, money came in, they could invest into their city. The more they invested into their city, the more it attracted attention. So this attention. was a big, important city in Greek times and in Roman times. Yes. What was the population of Ephesus at its peak in the ancient times? The peak would be the Roman period, um, first three centuries after Christ, 250,000, so a quarter of a million quarter people. quarter of a million people. Now, Yaren, when you stand at the top of Ephesus with your groups and you look out and you see the remains of this city that is so important in so many ways and once had a quarter of a million people, which must have been one of the biggest cities in the Mediterranean world in its day. Describe the picture you see, Yaren, from the top of the street looking out over Ephesus. Actually, it's one of the most well-preserved ancient cities in Turkey and in the whole world. And you see the whole city, although only 15% of the city has been excavated. But what you see is a full-fledged city. Going to Ephesus is just like a snapshot in time. So you can walk down that main street, and it's, it's a parade of important palaces and temples and yes. rich people's homes. And then at the bottom, of course, we'll talk about the library. And from the top, Lali mentioned it was an important port, but the sea is several miles away. Almost six miles away now because the port had been silted up by the Küçük Menderes River for centuries. That's why it's no longer by the sea. The sea has receded because of the uh, delta there. It's silted up. Lali, do you remember the first time, uh, now you go there, I mean, many times every year with your groups. Do you remember your first time in Ephesus? What was it like? It felt unreal because when you talk about an ancient city, you expect the crumbs of a building here, crumbs of another building there, but Ephesus is complete. As you walk, you're just walking on the main street of the city, and it's still intact. Even though so little is excavated, there's so much to see, and it categorizes as the most complete ancient city anywhere in the world. What's an example of the completeness in a more intimate way when you're walking down the main street? Of course, you're going to see the facades of great temples and, and wonderful yes. buildings, but what's something personal that you can kind of almost imagine people living there 2,000 years ago? I suppose it's both what's been excavated and the visitors, because it was a city of quarter million people once upon a time. With the visitors today, you get to feel it. It was metropolitan once upon a time, 
with people, traders coming from all parts of the Mediterranean, different clothes, different languages. It's exactly the same thing today. That's right. People, people are talking. People exactly, are impressed. Exactly. It's still crowded. Everybody rush hour. Has a, everybody has a rush to see this building or that building today among visitors. But in the past, they had work to do and they were rushing. So the crowds that can be seen today in Ephesus just reflect the past as Yaren said, snapshot of the history. Yaren, when you're taking your groups down the street, uh, we'll talk about the big buildings later, but what is some intimate little detail of life that you can point out if you know what to look for as you walk down the main street of the great ancient city of Ephesus? Actually, if when you just enter the site from the upper gate, when you start your walking, uh, you see the state Agora, which was the Capitol Hill once, so people can easily relate to that. Uh-huh. And as we walk down, you see the fountains, the polio fountain, which distributed the water to the entire city. So it was a full-fledged city. You know, so it, it had running water, actually. It, it had, the houses of the wealthy had running water. So the Greeks, the ancient Greeks brought aqueducts, and then it was plumbed right into the main street. Definitely. And I also want to add something. It was a commercial city. It was a very important commercial city, but it was also a very important religious center. The Temple of Artemis was located there. That was one of the most important pilgrimage sites. So and that's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So one of the things people know when they hear the word Ephesus, if you study the Bible or if you know the Bible, you know there's a book in the Bible, Ephesians. And this was Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the people who lived there. Uh, Lolly, tell just very briefly the biblical history of Ephesus. It is known that St. Paul lived in Ephesus for a while, using the right that every free citizen had to preach from a theater, he wanted to use this very same right, and when he wanted to appear in public, the silversmiths and the goldsmiths of the city organized populations against what he had to preach, because they feared that if a religion of one god was introduced, they would be out of business. So now, wait a minute. This is fascinating. (laughs) Paul is uh, a missionary, and this is in the first century. And he's in a city that's very big, very wealthy, and a big part of the industry is making these figurines for worshiping different pagan goddesses. Exactly, exactly. And the whole Christian message is you don't need to worship these figurines. Exactly. You've got one god up in. And exactly. then So there's a built-in conflict of interest here. What happened? Thousands gathered in the theater, and St. Paul went up to the stage to deliver his speech, but he couldn't because thousands were yelling back at him, saying that great is Artemis of Ephesus. So that was the hometown girl, the home goddess, and you're not going to let any Christian come in and say this is just The mother goddess. Yep. Um, Paul had to, for his own safety, get out of town. Yes, and then write the letters. Oh, so instead of giving the speech, he ended up writing a letter to the Ephesians, and that ends up as one of the books in the New Testament. Exactly. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Amitava is on the phone in Danville in California. Amitava, thanks for your call. Yes, hello, Rick. Uh, thank you very much for taking my call. So I was, I was on a cruise uh, this, uh, this past summer on the Princess Cruise, and we spent one day in Ephesus. It was a very hot day, by the way, in August. But one day was simply not enough to cover the marvels of Ephesus. First of all, I think I want to mention that the design and the acoustics of the amphitheater was incredible, and I'm an engineer by training. And all the kinds of calculations that we go through these days to build an auditorium, and they didn't have all that, and yet they were able to build such a wonderful, acoustically well-designed amphitheater. You know, Amitava, to hear you say that is, as an engineer is very affirming because just me as just a, a travel writer, I've gone to that theater and stood in the middle and done my friends, Romans, countrymen thing, and people can hear you. Lolly, how many people could sit in that theater, do they think? 24,000 people. 24,000. 
I understand that the way archaeologists can estimate the size of a city is multiplying the capacity of its theater by 10. So you can guess that 24,000 in the amphitheater estimate quarter of a million people in the city. So Amitav, I'm sorry I, I interrupted you, but carry on. The question I had was one day was not enough. I'm definitely going to go back. I'm going to go to a class in Oxford, but after that I'm going to spend two weeks in, in Turkey, and I'm going to go back to Ephesus. And I wanted to find out from your guests how many days should I plan to spend around that area to see it well and understand the biblical history? Well, that's an open-ended question. Lolly, you've been uh, taking groups around this area for a long time. How many yes. days could you fill with interesting for sites? Ephesus, with a good planning, for the site of ancient city, you don't need more than a day. Mm-hmm. What you need is a good understanding and a good planning of the ancient city and setting your goals before you head that way. But if you have more time and you want to see around, Pergamum would be a good destination. It was one of the seven churches of the Revelation. It's north of Ephesus. It would be about a two-hour drive one way from Ephesus, but I say it's a good side trip if you are into biblical history. And what is the name of that town again? Pergamon. Pergamon. It was the and capital city. And it's famous city. because yes. most of its, uh, a lot of its treasures are in Berlin now, in the yes. Pergamon Museum exactly. there. It's an impressive acropolis sitting on top of a hill, and there's so much history with it. Uh, in the direction of Izmir, could we stay in Izmir and then go to Pergamon from there? Yes, you can easily. From Izmir, it would be an hour trip one way. And if you are taking Izmir as a base, you can consider going a little bit east as well to the ancient city of Sardis, which again has an important biblical history and was a major city once upon a time, both during the Greek and the Roman periods. You might recognize the city by the name of its king that it had once upon a time, King Croesus. I think in English there's a saying that goes, as rich as Croesus. It was the Lydian kingdom who used Sardis as their capital city and was the very first place in the world history where money was minted. And Amitava, there's entire tours built around the footsteps of Paul. And, and uh, I can go on and on and on. I, I would recommend Aphrodisias and Hierapolis also, which are farther exactly. inland. Exactly. They would be south and southeast. I visited Virgin Mary's shrine and the house that she's supposed to have lived in. Did she die in Ephesus? And is St. Paul's grave also in Ephesus? Uh, Yaren, can you explain the, you know, because it's hard to know for certain, but a lot of pilgrims uh, believe that the Virgin Mary actually, after Jesus was crucified, lived in Ephesus outside of town, and there's a Virgin Mary's house that people visit. Do people accept that this was actually her home, or how would they know? Actually, many people accept that that was the home of Mother Mary, uh, and they see it as a kind of a main pilgrimage site. And I think it's because of a dream of a German, is it? Yes, that's how it was discovered. Yes, Uh, the discovery. Technically talking about, it's been proved that a house existed where the site is on today. There's a house from the first century AD. The theory is that if Mother Mary ever lived in Ephesus, she wouldn't have lived in a city which would be hostile against her, but she would live in seclusion within a short distance to Ephesus. That's the theory why the house that has the remains of a first century AD period must have been used by Mother Mary. There was a theory that there was a house of Mother Mary in or around Ephesus, but it had not been discovered for ages until a German nun had visions of Mother Mary describe her where she lived. And a team was established by the descriptions given by this German nun, and they found it. 
They Based followed the nun's dream yes. and they found this and house. And the nun had never been to Ephesus. And she was blind, as far yes, as I remember. she was blind. She had never been to wow. Ephesus. It's on the mountains. It's quite off from Ephesus. And it was found. And then archaeological survey was made. In the archaeological survey, they found that it was inhabited in the first century AD and it was rebuilt in the seventh century AD. Again, bringing us the theory that people in the 7th century AD knew she lived there. So they were honoring the place even 1,300 years ago. Amitava, thanks for your call. And Rick, thank you very much for taking my call. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Fred's calling in from Oak Hill in Virginia. Well, thank you, Rick, and thanks for taking my call. And uh, if you'll excuse the pun, uh, I echo what uh, you and your previous caller said about that theater. The acoustics are amazing. You echo it. That's very good. I, did you stand there actually and sing or, or demonstrate did, it? Did exactly what you said, uh, what you did. We just had some people talking in a very normal conversational tone, like in a room, and I could hear it halfway up the theater. And that was in the middle of the day. It was unbelievable. Remarkable, yeah. Well, my wife and I took the biblical Ephesus tour twice in the past three years, and we uh, were overwhelmed by the beauty of the city, of course, and very impressed with the efficiency friendliness and expertise of our tour operators. Now, we noticed that restoration is ongoing, and we would be interested in knowing if there is some sort of schedule for new buildings or areas to be restored within Ephesus. And you know that's, So we have a timetable. Right. Yaren just mentioned when we stand at the top of the city, we're gazing out over this vast archaeological site, and only 15% of it is excavated, and climbing up the hills on both sides would be the buried remains of the rest of that city, Lolly, for me, one of the most exciting things, is, and you took me there with our TV crew just last year, is the terrace houses. Describe the importance of these from an archaeological point of view and the ongoing work right on the main street in Ephesus. First of all, in order to live in a central location in a city in the past, you had to be very important. When you go through Ephesus, you don't see the house of the common folk, but the residences that can be seen used to be owned by the ultra, ultra rich and important of the ancient history once upon a time. And uh, some of these homes of the important people has been excavated and it has been still, it's being restored. This is taking a long time because there's still so much to do. Uh, There are numerous such houses in the downtown of Ephesus. Only five has been excavated and being worked on now. And I ask the very same question to the archaeologists when I go to Ephesus. They tell me that they're leaving the rest for future generations. So it's better not to uncover it unless you're ready to really finish it because it's a delicate jigsaw puzzle and it's laid out under the canopy outside of the scorching sun. And you stood with me in the courtyard explaining the beautiful art all around. Can you take us just to the courtyard of one of these rich people's homes and, and tell us what the art meant to the people? Most of the houses was what we call an atrium house, which means that there would be a central courtyard in the houses and then there would be rooms around it. This can be a single floor, two floors, or three floor houses. The ones that can be seen today in Ephesus used to have two or three floors. And on the walls, they had beautiful frescoes, beautiful mosaics, and on the floors, they had beautiful decorations as well. As well as placing marble slabs, they placed floor mosaics. And what I love most about the decorations in the terrace houses in Ephesus is to notice the former decorations. 
It's fun. You imagine you walk into one house, you see a decoration, but underneath, underneath the fresco, you see another fresco layer, which means that mother-in-law had decorated it previously. <laughs> oh, I love it. And in a lot of cases, these are houses that are in facing inward, facing into a courtyard. Yes. So they bring nature into the family environment yes. with the help of art. Yes. Fred, thank right. you so much for your call. Happy travels. Thank you. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I have had so much fun talking about, personally, one of my favorite ancient sites in the entire ancient world. And let's just wrap up our conversation here. I've been joined by uh, Lali Sermon Aran and Yaren Turkoglu, my friends who are guides. If you could explain a particularly gratifying moment for you as a guide. Yaren, when you're with your groups, take us to one little dimension of Ephesus and explain it to us. One of my favorite sites in Ephesus is the Library of Celsus which was the third biggest library in the ancient world, only rivaled by the library in Pergamon and the library in Alexandria. Mm. And because of the recent restorations, you can see the library intact now, and you can just imagine how it was. And it stands there like a temple to knowledge in an age when really who controlled the knowledge had power. Definitely, definitely. Lali. What I like about Ephesus is that it's not a museum piece. People living in Ephesus did not build it so that 2,000 years later we come and visit and marvel at it. It was a living city. When you realize that they used to have roads to the connecting cities, there were signposts on these cities, on these roads, and these signposts announced of the festivals coming up in the city, mentioned about the accommodations available in the city and how fun it would be being in Ephesus during a festival. It was a thriving metropolitan. It was a thriving port city, and that's what I like about it. We you... could we could actually dress up in the proper robes and, and walk down that city 2,000 years ago and relate to things. Exactly. It would be like that's... a city of ours. Exactly. That's what I like. And that's our challenge as guides, is to help our travelers resurrect and understand the past and, and relate it to our present. Exactly. Lolly and Yaren, thank you so much thank for you. helping us better understand the Pleasure. Ephesus. Thank you, Rick. It's a pleasure. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, freshly updated this year, teaches the skills of smart travel. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guidebooks for Istanbul, Athens, and every other corner of Europe. To learn more about Rick's books, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com. <laughs>